You're in the water loop. Waterloop is made possible in part by grants from Springpoint Partners and the Walton Family Foundation. Waterloop. Hey, this is Travis with Waterloop. I want to tell you a story about High Sierra Showerheads, who I'm proud to have as a sponsor of this podcast, particularly because they make incredibly water-efficient showerheads. I've talked with owner David Malcolm about growing up in California, learning about the importance of water and energy efficiency from his father. David has been designing high-efficiency nozzles for agriculture and golf courses for the past 30 years. The golf course people actually came to him wanting a nozzle that produced a uniform spray but was water-efficient. So David went in and designed a nozzle that explodes a low-pressure stream of water into a shower of large, powerful droplets. David actually thought, this would make a great showerhead. And that's how High Sierra Showerheads was born. And nobody has their nozzle technology. It's patented, and you get a great shower while saving water. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. You're in the water loop. Welcome to Waterloop. This is Travis here for the 100th episode of the podcast somehow. And as this was coming up, I was like, who should I have on? And I decided I really just wanted to talk about water uh, from a, a spiritual perspective, a mental perspective, emotional perspective, and surfing in the ocean. And so I, I've got the two best people I know to talk about those topics, have uh, Wallace J. Nichols, author of Blue Mind, and so much other work. Jay, thanks for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. So it's good to hang out with you guys. <laughs> yeah. And Jamal Yogis, author of Saltwater Buddha, Mop Rides the Waves of Life, um, several other books too. All Our Waves Are Water. It goes on and on. Jamal, thanks for joining as well. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks, Travis. Okay. Yeah. And so we'll, I'm going to try to make this like the most casual episode of the podcast <laughs> yet. And you guys have known each other for a long time. So uh, we'll just go wherever wherever it takes us. Um, yeah, it's been a crazy year, right? Uh, every, everyone's been declaring that and saying that. And it looks like we're kind of coming out of it into a, uh, a little bit of a new world now, which is good stuff. Um, but there's been a couple things in the past year or so that have happened in, in your guys' lives I wanted to touch on and, and how they intersect with water. Um, Jamal, I know that you've relocated yourself. You're, you're up in British Columbia. You're in the mountains, uh, seen lots of awesome photos and videos of you and your boys charging down the mountain, uh, making snow like your new waves and your, your new water. It is water. <laughs> um, you know, what's that been like for you as a, as as a water guy, an ocean guy, um, being up in the mountains and having that new nature, that new water to to explore. Yeah, uh, it's been. I mean, we've. It's definitely been a, a, a fortunate place to pass this year. I mean, we've. It's a, a playground for kids up here. We have the mountain. We have the lakes. We were we were skiing a lot through the winter, and now we're mountain biking and. Swimming and um, but being an ocean person, totally honestly, I do feel like I'm drying up inside a little bit. <laughs> I'll be totally honest. I miss, you know, when we have gotten out to Tofino and it's just 
there's something different about the ocean you know it's uh it really feels like the lifeblood for me as much as i love lakes and lakes and rivers um and the mountains there is just something really unique about getting into the ocean every day the rhythm of the waves and um so i i'm i'm not we're not planning on staying here forever, but it's been a wonderful place to be and a place that's dear to our hearts. And on a water level, um, I mean, it, it's been interesting. Like, I think I'm a novelty seeker. I know that about myself. Mm-hmm. I really seek new experiences. That's kind of why I've hopped to different writing paths and um, moved to lots of different places. I've lived all over the world. And so when we first got here, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting into this new sport that I used to do as a kid. I'm, I'm skiing and snowboarding. And um, that novelty was sort of keeping me, keeping me going. Um, and, uh, and the fact that there is so much beautiful water up here was really, um, I think, also, and we just felt lucky, lucky to be outside at all. But as I've been here longer, <laughs> also absence makes absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I've been kind of, it's almost like missing an old friend, you know, with the ocean. Like I've been, the sadness is sweet, sort of like that roomy poem, longing. Mm-hmm. You know, you feel like I'm glad I'm glad I miss the ocean this much. I'm glad that that connection that I've been uh has been there since i was a kid um and it it does feel special it feels like a family relationship or a romantic relationship almost that you you pine for it and it's made me appreciate even more what what uh i do have living close to the coast usually so uh so that's been sort of a, a hidden or an unexpected outcome of it as I think just appreciation of how special salt water is. Yeah. Um, it'd be almost, it'd be almost more sad if you like weren't missing the ocean, right? Like, Oh no, I've fallen out of love with it. That's that's even more tragic than not having it. If um, it was that easy to replace. Yeah. It seemed, it would seem like, you know, all those special moments were made cheaper or something, you know, <laughs> it's like I ran away from this. <laughs> So you you got out to that Tofino, which is like uh, you know the uh, kind of the surf spot in British Columbia. Um, yeah, what, yeah, what was it? What? Yeah, Tofino's. Um, sorry to interrupt. No, uh, oh, yeah, Tofino's amazing. Yeah, the the there's something really unique about the coastline up here, and it's it's not as cold as people think, and there's orcas around. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, so nothing to complain about there. We just happened to settle in in Whistler for the year for for actually for some work reasons for my wife, and um, so you know it feels like such a privileged. Yeah, thing, you know? yeah, that's like, awesome. Though. Be, be here, you know, it's it's been really special. It's a, a special place, but uh, but yes, and the snows snows great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I totally understand. You know, I I spent like nine years kind of, I'd say stuck in Annapolis, Maryland, you know, on the Chesapeake Bay working in DC and would drive a couple hours 
two and two and a half hours to get to the beach. And I was like, am I ever going to have that as my regular life again? And fortunately, I found my way to Wilmington, North Carolina and just went out this morning, surfed for about an hour and a half, some nice waist high, just glassy waves and waters in the low 70s. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful way to, to start the day and start the start the work day. Um, Jay, I wanted to ask um, about uh, kind of what happened in your life in the past year. Um, I know that very, very unfortunately, um, you you lost a special home, a special house mm -hmm. to wildfires. Um, and I wanted you to kind of share that story and maybe how water and being on the coast there has, has helped you, uh, you know, in your healing from that. Yeah, that's right. Um, you know, I, I think, um, like you said, it's been a crazy and, and certainly different uh, and challenging year for most people on earth for a variety of reasons, mm -hmm. including the pandemic and um, um, various other social issues and elections and things not to get political. No, um, it's been a, it's been a crazy year in a lot of ways. A lot of things have converged. That's for sure. And the, um, so in the middle of that, I kind of asked myself, how, you know, it, well, at least it can't get any worse. And then, uh, it did <laughs> the, um, we had this storm in California that was unlike any I've ever seen in my life. It was just a dry lightning storm. And it was just this weird, wind, quick, windy, powerful storm with no rain and a ton of lightning, which would simply be beautiful if it hadn't started 600 wildfires around uh, the middle of the state. And um, one of those fires was near our home and our home was one of the first lost uh, uh, that next day. And I got out, I uh, got the dog, my family was safe. I didn't grab much. I think I'm embarrassed by the things I grabbed. Used kind of a, a gallon of oat milk and a Bluetooth speaker, just to be specific. Right. Um, seemed, seemed like a good idea at the time, but um, drove out and I think our home was gone you know, within a couple hours. Um, major fire, I mean, I, I had thought about staying back and, and, you know, defending our, our, our place. And, uh, pretty glad I didn't do that. Um, to give you an idea the Canyon that our, our, our house was in, uh, we had a vintage Airstream, an old Airstream trailer, which is this big aluminum bubble and it melted and, um, it takes 1221 degrees to melt aluminum. So hmm. if I had been standing there with my hose, uh, the water would <laughs> be evaporating right and you know as it came out of the hose and I would obviously be a crispy critter at that point and um, so anyway that's that's basically the, the background there um, a beautiful storm big fire a lot of people I'm not the only one uh, our family's not the only one to get hit this way a lot of people around the state around the west uh, lost property and belongings but um and I, you know i have to say i thought i thought of my dear friend jamal um a bit <laughs> during this time because of some of the conversations that we've had uh his practice is writing um and the deep dives he's taken into 
interesting subjects, you know, um, including fear and, uh, and it was just, just a kind of very strange, um, experience of having many powerful emotions at the same time that normally you don't think are compatible, like complete, utter heartbreak and fascination and gratitude all at the same time. Mm. Um, I, I didn't, I would say anger. Some people get angry in times like these. I don't, it's not one of the, my go-to emotions when I'm under stress. Um, and I learned that about myself. I, in, in heavy stress in like relentless heavy, you know, you lose everything during a global pandemic and have no work and everybody around you is, feeling the same way. That's kind of heavy stress. Uh, I don't get angry and I don't really get afraid. I, th I think I, I move into a place of gratitude. Um, and I, and I really learned that about myself, um, this year and, have, you know, done my best to kind of share that perspective outside of the wildfire themes. Everybody's gone, gone through some sort of, um, unforgettable trauma. Um, well, that's amazing because yeah. gratitude is not the place you would think that somebody would go, right? When you have a loss like that, um, so that's very, that's that's very interesting, and I th I think admirable. I mean, that's that's incredible. And what about? I don't take any credit. I don't take any credit for it. It's just what my, <laughs> my, it's just what my brain does. I, you know, and I think it it might be a problem sometimes. Yeah. You know, people might say, "Dude, why aren't you angry?" And I, I don't know. And why aren't you afraid? I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just thankful. Um, so yeah, it may be just, it, it's not always, not always a good thing, but that's how I feel. So I'm grateful to have lived where I lived in that home for 20 years and raised a couple of kids there. So, yeah. Yeah. And then you've been, uh, you know, spending time at the, at the beach and walking along and looking at the ocean and all that good stuff. I know you're in a beautiful spot there in the central coast. Yeah, first first time back to check to see if our house made it, um, and finding that it hadn't, and all that was left was the fireplace. Um, I just stripped down. I was pretty covered with ash, and it was a pretty messy situation, smoky. I just stripped down and got in the creek, and then it just instinctively was like, you know what I need? That that thing right there, Mill Creek. I need I need to freeze my butt off in that creek for a while. And I sat in the creek and cried, and um, and again felt gratitude. I'm, I'm made out of that creek water. I mean, literally, not not making this up. That's the water that makes my you know makes my brain and my body and and my family. And um, and so I just got in the creek, thanked the creek for for all that, and you know leaned on it one more time. And then of course going to the ocean, getting in the water, you know, waves have a way of, um, soothing your soul when you need them to, um, falling asleep to the sound of those waves. Uh, fortunate to be able to do that. Um, but it was a little bit like, okay, blue mind guy, let's see <laughs> if your theory holds up under pressure. And, uh, and I, you know, I was like, uh Oh, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. This, uh, this whole, water therapy thing might not be enough to get me through this. And, um, you know, and obviously it's, it's not the only way we take care of ourselves, but I think 
if people are listening to this podcast and have followed you along for 100 episodes, um, they love water too <laughs> and have some perspective on, you know, how to uh, use water in our lives uh, effectively, you know, for our emotional health as well as our physical health. Yeah. I love that point that uh, whatever water body you live near is where your drinking water really comes from. I mean, I think that's kind of what you're getting at there, right? So you literally, <laughs> you're right, you literally are made from that water body that is near you. You know, for me, I'm getting my drinking water from the Cape Fear River. So this is a whole other way for me to view view that body of water. That's uh, that's really cool. I think it's about as intimate as it gets when you think about it, and it doesn't get any more intimate than your relationship to your water, wherever you are, British Columbia, East Coast, West Coast. Um, it doesn't get any more intimate. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I know that um, <clears throat> I've seen a lot of articles during this time, during the pandemic, about people you know, turning to nature. It was amazing seeing just from my window of my house all of a sudden last spring, people out on bikes and walking and that just in gobs, right? Getting outside because that's all you had to do. And that's really where you were allowed to go. Um, and certainly water was a huge part of that. People going to a beach if they could or hiking to a lake or walking by a stream. Um, love to just kind of get your guys' observations. If uh, what you've seen of articles like that, what you've seen firsthand, why you think um, people gravitated toward nature and, and blue spaces during this, during this time. Yeah, I, <laughs> um, I, I've been, before we came up to Canada, I was psyched to see the city close Ocean Beach Great Highway um, and took traffic. So then people were out there rollerblading and skating and biking right along the beach every day. And, and the beach was packed with people. It's usually not. Like Ocean Beach is kind of like a... A little bit of a it's a gorgeous beach three miles on but it, it's often foggy it's often windy the water's cold it's it's rough graffiti on the walls you know sometimes there's like you might run into some trash you don't <laughs> beyond the usual plastic that is like you don't want your kids to pick up um but uh but yeah it was like getting use and that really filled my heart as much as you know in the beginning we were all like, what do I do? You know, do I mask? Do I stay? You know, it was, uh, but people figured it out and figured out how to be outside. And that was a really like joyful thing for me. I often am Jay and I both, I think are often harping on the fact that our true wealth is our health and our health is only as, uh, healthy as the planet is. And really our, and that comes back to our water, ways and our, our oceans you know that's where um that's those are the engines of of health on the planet but i think you don't feel that viscerally if you haven't been able to get out in it you know if you if you can't sit on the beach or or float down a river or you know float down a lake and look at the sky <laughs> or you're not pushed to do that um, by your, the, you know, my family, we kind of grew up appreciating stuff like that, but not every family does. And I think this pandemic has, has, uh, pushed some folks who that's not their go-to 
gifts for for uh, uh, in their free time necessarily has pushed folks outdoors and um, and that's been the same here on the mountain. There's like a huge uptick in backcountry skiing, and um, I think that this this uh, our kids I know are going to look back at this year as a year they did they were like outside more than any other year and that's you know uh again a privileged experience of the pandemic but i hope it's one that a lot of people are having um a lot of uh, young people are having because i think that's our hope for the future is that people value nature as um like that literally is your is your bank account for (laughs) for life because you know if we don't have um to value it, we have to experience its benefits. And um, yeah, everybody I, should have access. I hope, as I've seen all the people outside and, and discovering things maybe they didn't do and buying, actually buying a bike or getting a paddleboard, you know, I'm like, I hope that a lot of these people continue this after the pandemic, you know, and they have some long term connection with nature that then, like you said, parlays into stewardship and better health and all, and all that. So I, I hope people keep going with it. Jay, what's been your observations during this time with, with people? And, you know, do you think it's just a function of what they're able to do? Or do you think there was something else there um, with, you know, how nature and, and water make us feel? Yeah, I've had a lot of, um, a lot more and different conversations about um, water in particular, but nature in general during the pandemic and its role in our, our, our wellness and our, and our healing and our grieving. And that's ranged from first responders and veterans and uh, groups of journalists who are on the front line telling these harrowing stories daily to um, health practitioners, so nurses therapists, doctors, um, the whole range. And uh, during you know, a lot of Zoom calls with those groups, uh, turns out. Um, and, and I've seen that, you know, it's like it, the, the need to explain uh, is shorter. There's a shorter runway from, you know, from the you know, base level up to, oh, I get it, because people are experiencing the lack thereof. Um, and that's been really, um, uh, it's sort of made our job easier, I guess you could say, but there's this thing I used to do in when, back when we met in rooms together and did things like keynotes and readings, that seems like so long ago, but I think it'll happen again someday. But I used to say, so imagine a, a ballroom at some kind of conference and there's a thousand people, sitting there, you know, facing forward. And I, I would sometimes say something like, okay, my, t- I have, I've have asked my team to lock all the doors and remove all the water bottles from the room and you will get your water back in three hours. And then I pause. And here's the trick. Like, I don't have a team that I travel with. There is no team. I'm not touching anybody's water bottle. The doors are still wide open. If they look under their chair, their water bottle's still there. But the mere suggestion that you won't have your water for three hours. Then the next question I ask after a couple beats is, did you feel that? 
did your mouth get a little dry or a lot dry at the mere suggestion that you have no water for three hours, even though your, you know, your visual um, data collecting, which would be just look at the door, it's not closed, look under your chair, your water bottle's still there, suggests that I'm making up a story. Your, your mouth still got dry and it happens so fast that it, it happens without thinking because if you thought about it, you'd realize that nobody's taking your water. <laughs> so it's this lightning fast response. And I think that, you know, that little silly story relates to your question about like how in Jamal's comment, uh, you know, um, that in the absence or the scarcity or the sense of, wow, I'm not, maybe I can't have this. We understand it more, uh, quickly and that's that's a, a function of the way our, our brain works um that it, that emotional response can be you know lightning fast literally um and I, and so that's what we've been seeing is people getting that um that like that gut response that mm-hmm. says i got i need some nature man i need to jump i i feel i feel bad i need some water i need i need to jump in the lake um, I need to go walk by the, by, um, by the ocean. Um, but also our domestic waters, our tubs, our showers, and even float spas, which I know is a topic <laughs> you uh, have some yeah. recent expertise in. Well, I, you know, I, like I was headed toward this podcast with you guys, you know, these, and I was like, I have to do something, something cool that I can talk about. Um, some, something Zen, something, you know, with the blue mind. And so, uh, and I've been meaning to do it for a long time. Jay, we talked about it in episode one about float, (laughs) float tanks and like, and I never had the experience. So I went to one by, by me yesterday. Um, and that was really awesome. It, It was, it was, I think it was what I expected in a really good way. Um, it's an hour. And at first I was like an hour, man, that's, that's a long time. Am I going to get bored in there? Um, and then, so I started kind of, you know, I was like, I'm just going to meditate. I did the lights off, no sound, total sensory deprivation thing. And so I'm just kind of doing like my little mantra in my head and I nod off and I'm asleep floating in water, you know? Um, and, and then I kind of like come back to, but in that weird zone where you're, kind of sleeping, kind of awake. I'm like only feeling my mind, you know, like not even the body as much. Um, and so I, I, I loved it. It was, it was awesome. Um, and the guy's like, Oh, are you going to come back? I'm like, definitely. I gotta, gotta mess around with this a little bit more. So, um, have you guys, have you guys done floating before or like, what was your experience? And, um, I know Jay, you've mentioned there's, you know, a lot of science on that too. I'd love to just kind of chat about it a little. Yeah, Jamal, have you floated? Yeah, no, I haven't done it. So you you jump in there because I know you've been to some float float conferences and all kinds of stuff. So yeah. I I I'm a, a, a floater to be for sure. <laughs> Got to try it though. Got to try it. Well, yeah. So there's you know for those who are like, what the hell are you, you guys talking about? <laughs> Thank you. Um, floating a float tank or a float spa is basically an oversized bathtub. Very very shallow, 18 inches of water or so, uh, hyper saline, saturated with um, um, these Epsom salts. And 
so maybe a thousand pounds of salt thrown in there. And the water's warm, matches your body temperature. The air is warm, matches the water temperature. And so you really lose track of the, the separation between your body, the water, and the air. Uh, there's done well, there's no sound, there's no vibration, and there's no light. And so there's no visual stimulation, there's no auditory stimulation, there's very little somatic stimulation. So your brain, which is almost always processing all of those things, whether you realize it or not, gets, a, gets kind of a break. And when you get that break, you don't just go to sleep and turn off, you switch into a different mode that I, I refer to as blue mind. And floating is obviously not the only way you can feel this thing called blue mind. You, or you could be floating in a canoe on a lake and you can experience a, a version of this or in a surfboard on an ocean and, you know, or sitting in your own bathtub. So that's kind of, kind of the deal. And it turns out the research is really clear and it's, it's starting to pour in, uh, pun intended. Um, <laughs> and a guy named Justin Feinstein at the Laureate Institute for Brain Research, he's uh, one of the pioneers. The, the, the research goes way back, but he's a neuroscientist and he's literally looking at the brain floating in your skull, which is in water, while you uh, float in another sort of capsule. It's a sort of very meta, you could say. Um, mm. And the research is clear. It's one of the best activities you can do for uh, anxiety, post-traumatic stress, depression, and, and a bunch of other things that are um, harming and hurting and, and um, getting in our way, especially this year. Um, so these float spas are popping up all over the place. I, I recommend that people sign up for three floats in, to give it a, a real try. Some people have a, a real squirrely experience the first time. They, they can't settle in. Maybe they had a cup of coffee and they're just feeling like they're trapped or they feel claustrophobic or just give it three floats before you make um, heavy judgment about it. And um, yeah, my, I've done it a bunch and every time I do it, it's a little different. Sometimes it feels like a power nap. Sometimes it feels like a week in Maui. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally, I've yeah. gotten out of a 90-minute float thinking, what in the hell just happened? I, I, I feel like, what, what year is it? Where am I? And um, am I really flying? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a yeah. bit of a trip. You know, so. Yeah. The, like you said, you lose the... Uh you lose the distinction, uh, you know, between your, your body and the water and the air. Like I, I really had that complete, just like whew, my consciousness and kind of all the, <laughs> the rest was, was gone. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun for sure. Um, gotta, gotta, yeah, at that. the very least I'd say it's fun. It's a fun thing to do with your friends, yeah. with your family members, and then go out and have a cup of tea and talk about it. Hmm. And maybe you'll never do it again, but at least you'll say, wow, that was weird. Because we, we modern humans never really get to experience nothing. You know, even when we're quiet, even when we're meditating, there's still, there's still you know, you're still touching um, whatever you're sitting on. Or you're, you're, poss you're possibly going to have some sounds uh, coming in. Um, the water really is really a nice on-ramp for people who may have a hard time 
with mindfulness meditation, you know, calming their mind. Um, and then once you know your mind in that state, then it's easier to get there when you're not in a float tank. <laughs> mm. So that's kind of the, maybe the takeaway is when you, when you know your blue mind and you know how cool it is, you want that feeling again and you can achieve it without signing up for another float, of course. Um, but if you don't ever know what that feels like, um, it may just sound far out, hippy dippy, scary, <laughs> woo woo, whatever. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, but that's that's about where the handoff to Jamal, his insights into like that, getting to that place. That you know, I, some some people might say it's an unnecessary crutch to, to get to um, uh, into you know a practice of meditating. But I think it's a great a great on ramp that water serves that purpose. You know, for I mean, a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I started meditating when I was in there because I was like, okay, well, I guess this is what I'll what I'll do with my mind at this moment. But um, I also I felt like it was a way to get into the experience of of floating rather than the floating being a way to get into meditating, if that makes sense. Like I, mm -hmm. I think I got I get more only doing it once, but I think I get more out of sitting and meditating traditionally, whatever, and having that, that mental state. Um, but then the float was, it was just a cool way to totally disappear into that, into that, you know, that state. And then like probably the whole second half hour was just kind of in this, uh, in between world, if you, if you will. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds, it reminds me of, um, of, even though I haven't done a formal float, I, I am um, having done like longer meditation retreats where you're doing um, oftentimes you on like the seventh or eighth day, you'll get to these places after all that sensory deprivation um, and stillness <clears throat> where you're, you feel like your body's kind of floating because your cells are relaxed. you you don't have the, <clears throat> the barriers that usually are and muscle tension that are blocking a, just a natural flow and, and blocking like an appreciation of being, I think a water being have, have relaxed at that point and you're kind of embodied. And, um, but I think it takes, uh, a lot <laughs> it takes a lot of meditating to get to that place and I, not every you know and i i think um a lot of people express frustration when they're getting into mindfulness meditation because they're busy we're all busy and it's hard to um just take 10 minutes and say okay now i'm gonna stop everything <laughs> it's like you, you just end up planning for work and doing you know it's like uh saying i'm gonna go surf in uh this storm right now <laughs> and just for 10 minutes, you know, and I'll catch a great wave. Well, you probably are not going to catch a great wave. You know, it's going to take you years. So it does sound Jay, like I know from a neuroscience level, it's like you, you create a groove or a habit of being in that blue mind state. It's like the more flow you have, the more flow you have, the, the more you train yourself. And to have a, an entry point to that state 
or even go do a float and then try 10 minutes of mindfulness meditation sounds like um, a cool way to do it. I'm also thinking about like the body awareness because I think one thing that surfing and just being in the water does that I've noticed, like if you surf and then you go do a little um, mindfulness practice is like, we're usually so up here um, in our thoughts. We're not really um, let our body is always present, right? So just feeling that awareness of the body is and letting our, our sort of cells have their own consciousness um, takes uh, waking them up. And I think the water naturally does that. I know I'm not using scientific terminology, whatever that is, the nervous system getting like its, its blue mind on. Um, I think uh, I imagine that floating, it's like you're getting the pressure from the water um, and your, your, your sensory system wakes up. I think that's an important part of learning to be present. Um, so just riffing on what I don't really know about. But, uh, <laughs> it sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> I think, Jamal, you need to, need to get someone to, someone to like, pay you to float and write about it. Uh, just from a writerly perspective, it, it, you know, yeah, an article and a real, a real specific, like, you know, do the, do the three floats in one week thing and mm. chronicle it. Maybe even a, somebody put a camera in your face uh, afterwards, if that's not too invasive. But I, I, you know, one of the things that I, so when I speak at these float conferences, one of the, the topics is that you're, you get out of that float experience and you're wide open to better understand the importance of water to our lives. And, and it's kind of like Jamal, you said, when you get, you get out of, out of the ocean after a surf, or you get out of a kayak after a long paddle, or you get out of the pool after a swim, you're in a really nice place uh, in your day. And you're wide open to perhaps accept um, some, some new ideas, some new useful concepts. And so that's one of the messages for all these float spas is like, you know, don't, don't hit people with a, with your cause, you know, when they're right after they <laughs> float, but, um, a softer way of just in, inviting them into a, a bigger conversation that isn't just about floating. That's about water. And maybe they, they may be, um, more open to become, uh, water advocates in some way, shape, or form, whether it's, you know, focused on um, helping people who need clean water in their community or fixing what's broken in the lakes and the rivers around, around their town. Um, but I think that making that connection and a number of, a number of float spas certainly do that. They, you know, they connect the float experience to a broader wellness ex experience to a broader sustainability movement and, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, the last thing I'll mention on the float thing and we'll move on to back to the ocean is, uh, I got in and I had just like <clears throat> all the tension in my shoulders and my neck and that upper part of my back. Just, I was like, Oh my gosh. Um, uh, I don't know. Like I didn't know I was carrying all that. Uh, mm -hmm. but being in the water that way where everything else, there was, there was no weight on anything else. I guess I just realized it and felt it. Um, mm -hmm. it was, it just jumped out right away and then it, that, that melted away. Like the experience, just like, you know, the, the last three quarters of it, whew, that tension it, it left, 
it was gone. So that was that was really cool. I appreciated that. There, there are these these. So I, I want to mention one one area. So one funny little thing, and then one more serious thing. One is, I've I've floated one time, and it I literally felt like my right arm was where my left arm used to be, and my left arm was where my right because like they passed literally passed through my body like that and that they were on the wrong sides. And I was so confused. I was like, how the heck did my arm switch? I gotta, I gotta get them back. That's what it felt like. And then I realized, okay, I'm just having a weird moment here. Um, they're fine. But uh, some of the, a recent study that just came out shows that floating is one of um, the best therapies for anxiety disorders such as a range of eating disorders and body dysmorphia. And that is, um, that is an assortment of diseases that affect an awful lot of people and uh, very, very dangerous and very serious. And you know, we've had our experiences in our family. Um, and it's touched, anxiety disorders touch a lot, a lot of people. And um, it's nice to know that the water-based therapies can be um, at least one of the things that can help people um, have a better relationship with their body. And Jamal alluded to that earlier, and that it's just so important. And something happens while you're floating that um, um, people who have used floating to help recover from, from anorexia and bulimia and um, body dysmorphia um, say that it's, it's great. And mm. so uh, again, it's, research by Justin Feinstein, if anybody's listening that could benefit from, um, from floating or know somebody, uh, check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a couple of things you said there really are good segues to, um, kind of what I wanted to chat about was, you know, uh, the idea of, of water as literally as medicine, uh, for, for a lot of different things, you know, that's, that's, one of the reasons that I love surfing so much, um, you know, I have an some anxiety issues and it literally is the best thing for me. Um, it, being in the ocean, like takes that stuff away. And for, for 24 to 48 hours after a good surf session, I just feel so much better, literally, you know, um, ev from, in every way. Uh, and, but I also have these interesting experiences and, and this Jamal Yogi's guy is always in my head when I'm out there in the ocean and I'm getting mad, uh, because I'm not catching waves or I'm, I'm surfing like a kook again. And like yesterday morning, I'm out there. It's not great. I'm on my longboard. I'm missing everything. I'm surfing terrible and I'm just getting so upset. And then last time we spoke, Jamal's like, you know, sometimes you just think about just catch one wave or just, just look at the, the sun on the water or, you know, just look at the waves, the, the, the water move and let that reset your mind. And so I'm always trying to do that do those things. But it's so interesting. I had that experience yesterday. And then today, like I said, I went out this morning and um, even had my short board, smaller waves, surfed great. And uh, and then like this, the euphoria, like euphoria after that for, for hours and even now. Um, I don't know. It's just it's it's just amazing and crazy. And, uh, you know, it's it's surfing is literally 
you know, the best medicine. There's a lot of great ways in the water that, that help. Uh, going for a swim, just going floating along in the ocean or whatever it is. But um, yeah, you know, you guys have talked about it. I'd love to hear a little more about whatever that is with the motion and the wave and the push and the rhythm that, that just has some unparalleled effect. Explain this to me. I need to understand. <laughs> well, I, I, um, I agree. <laughs> I concur. Yeah. I've, I've thought a lot about, you know, this from just an unscientific place of you get this, you're getting this, um, sweet cocktail of effects in surfing. Cause you get the, you know, I know this from Jay's book that the moment you even touch the water, you're starting, your nervous system starts to get a little parasympathetic hit. Like it's heat, the healing begins and you're getting that in the ocean as you float, drift out there and as you float, but then you're also into this adrenaline state of, this is exciting to get this, to get a ride. Um, and then you're also getting exercise, which we know is, uh, you know, has incredible advantages for just staying healthy, getting endorphins. Um, and, um, you know, we know from <clears throat> research on flow states, like when, you know, the, when Steph's hitting every three, he, you know, he can access that. He, he's just, uh, and he's gotten good at accessing it and locking in um, and getting to that place for athletes often means um, it's, it's different than the float state blue mind where you're completely relaxed. You want a little bit of adrenaline um, or, or like a little to, to access um, because that's an extra energy to your limbs, right? The, the, the fear system or the, amygdala it's sending out the the adrenaline to your limbs because it's saying you need this energy now there's something a little bit dangerous or a little bit exciting here um so but you don't want to get into red mind where you have so much energy you get a boost, you might get a boost in strength but it's not comfortable and it's usually imprecise so I think with surfing, when you're in, when you have that euphoria, you're, you're getting a little adrenaline, but you're also integrating it with your breath, with this experience of awe in the ocean with, um, and there's just some special thing that happens where I think, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a unique, uh, cocktail that we go search for again and again but as you were saying you can have a bad day surfing and you can take it all for granted or get angry out there and i think um so you know uh it's important to remember that you don't need all those things to, to get to that state but i think it is an entry point um and surfing is there's a reason it's you know so fun and people build a lifestyle around it but i'd be curious yeah. to know jay like if there's any more uh science on um you know what what that is that surfers are experiencing yeah you know the i think since since we last spoke and certainly in the last decade um the sort of clinical research on surf therapy programs has 
exploded and the number of just stunningly beautiful programs and people devoting themselves to this thing called surf therapy um, is just expanding and refining itself and iterating and, and people are sharing what, what works. Um, so one, one of the insights I had recently, it was during the pandemic and I was doing these Zoom calls with veterans groups who were doing surf therapy. And what one of the guys told me was that they're trained to live in red mind and then move back and forth between, you know, Jamal mentioned red mind, which is that very useful, very powerful, um, somewhat stressed, anxious, um, stimulated information gathering. It's, it's our new normal. It's really useful in sort of performance and achievement context. Um, but this man was telling me that they're trained to live in red mind and toggle back and forth between red mind and gray mind, gray mind being burnout, which is not very useful. And then when, when to get out of gray mind, as soon as they can, they go back to that like hyper on state and maybe add some caffeine to, to get themselves out of the gray mind, out of the burnout and the breakdown. Um, and they toggle back and forth between those, those two modes. Um, until the until the burnout and the breakdown is so bad that they need uh, medical help and that's usually where they end up um, being sent sometimes to surf therapy and what was explained to me is that they they need to learn how and how you know jamal described it so beautifully to move between um blue and red mind and this is an oversimplification of some pretty complex uh, neurological activity but it helps these color coatings help people remember it. And if they can remember it, they can apply it. If they can apply it, it's, it's good for us. So, um, you don't just, you know, you're not just out there on a board floating, um, like a float spot. You're, you're doing stuff. You're responding, you're responding to wildlife. You're responding to the weather. You're responding to other surfers. Um, the, you know, the ocean's conditions, the size of the waves, you're making split second decisions that, you know, can, could lead to pure joy or, you know, total crash. Um, so that movement between red and blue mind is, I think is really the epitome of what makes surfing so satisfying because, you know, we're, we evolved to solve problems, to run away from danger, to fight, um, when necessary. And we're, we're good at it. And we have this apparatus that lets us do it and we shouldn't just pretend it's not there and it's not useful. Um, so activities like surfing, rock climbing, um, involve these moments of awe and wonder and bliss and relaxation, which is necessary to make the whole thing um, therapeutic, but punctuated by these, these extremes, these, you know, um, but not dominated. So if, you, if, if it was just pure adrenaline, um, you're you're gonna run out. You're gonna run, you're just you're gonna break down. Then you're in burnout. But if you've got these, you know, this like blissful floating, waiting, maybe chatting with a friend, and then you know, these punctuated um, moments of pure joy. Um, you catch a wave and you handle it, uh, and then you paddle back out, and it's you. You got a big smile on your face, uh, or you paddle in and you got a bigger smile on your face at the end of the day. And 
So that's that's part of what's going on is that toggling between the, the red and the blue mind. Hmm. You know, it's exercise. Um, you you've got oftentimes, you know, the blue space as it's referred to um, is just incredibly enjoyable. Uh, and then Travis, you mentioned the sound. You know, the the entrainment that happens with the rhythm of the ocean. Um, you you kind of get into um, its rhythm, and it's a good one. It's a good rhythm to be in. And um, some of the research, uh, with Blue Mind, we connect a lot of dots. So there's research on like, people drumming, uh, synchronous drumming. Um, you know, even thinking about rocking, when you rock a baby, uh, helps them sleep. So there's this calming aspect to the ocean's rhythm, the sound of it, but also the, the movement of it. And then there's a visual rhythm. So you combine all of that, you know, we, we yank it all apart into its little components to try to understand it with science. And then but to really understand it, you need to put it all back together again and do it. And that um, it is complex, but it's, it's <laughs> super cool. And I, I think it's even more, um, when you get down into the science, it makes the, it makes the experience more interesting, not less interesting. And cool. the more we understand about it, maybe the more we'll, we'll practice and it'll, you know, for some people, some people are like, I don't need to know the science. I'm good. Um, I'm not one of those people. I like to dig into all of it and, uh, and learn. So, yeah. Well, you know, you the, make it uh, accessible to us, which is, which is, uh, so nice too. <laughs> it's not like reading blue. <laughs> not like reading a scientific study <laughs> much as I appreciate people who do them well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What, one thing, Travis, if I could just sure. um, riff on that one more time, as I remember Jay, you talking about this, I think about this all the time when I'm surfing um, as, as another element of the cocktail is the appearance of water. Um, is complex. It's a it's a it's a pattern that we don't see. It's not replicated anywhere else. And so, um, it's it, we often think of cityscapes as our complex kind of crazy place where your brain's getting lots of stimulus. But um, yeah, I remember you talking about how the the patterns in water are actually stimulating your brain in, in a in a complex way, but it's not in the same like language center kind of way or that were that our our usual neural pathways are are sort of engaged in. It's it's in one that engages different parts of the brain that that are. Um, that are relaxing, you know, that it helped us be in that awe and that presence. And um, it's something counterintuitive that I, I often think about when I'm, <laughs> when I'm trying that trick, Travis, of looking at the, the light on the water, you know, instead of getting angry at, about, you know, <laughs> the guy who just, <laughs> who's grasping the lineup. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, that concept. Um, psychologists refer to as soft fascination among other names but it's you 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 are either one of these people or you know people who can sit for a week and look at the water and not get bored for a second and they're just happy because it's changing there's novelty but it's like you said it's not giving you 
problems to solve or information or language to decipher. It's the water's not asking you a, a question. It's, um, it, you know, it's, it's holding you there in that place, but you're not getting really bored by it. It's not, it's not like staring at a blue wall, which could get boring really fast. And so that soft fascination is, is part of the key to it. I, uh, you know, that calling it a special cocktail and then explaining all these other pieces that come together, um, that make it so unique is I, I often think like when I hear the people, uh, people use the word, you know, that they're stoked. I feel like I feel very territorial about that word. I feel like that, that only can be about surfing. You can't, you can't just be stoked because you got an A on your test. Like that, that word, I feel, I feel very possessive of that word. And that, that is referring to that, that unique thing that you get from surfing. That's, that's probably just, just me. But, um, you know, anyway, I, I feel like the whole surfing experience, like, unless you've had that feeling afterwards, uh, you know, you don't really know what that word means. <laughs> um, That's right. Can't, can't use blue mind at the roller skating rink. Come <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> um, hey, if it's if, it, if it's a really, really, really wet roller skating rink, you know, <laughs> it, maybe we're onto something there. Underwater roller skating. Oh man, here we go. New sports. Um, I just wanted to, to ask you guys two two about two things randomly, uh, one for each of you here. Um, Jay, you went uh, recently to Niagara Falls. Was that your first time there, and or you know whether it was or not? Uh, what was it? What's it like? I've never been there. Um, what was that like? Yeah, for you as a water experience. Um, sec- it was my second time visiting Niagara Falls, and last time was quite a while ago, and. Um, I'd forgotten how incredible it really is standing right there at the edge of that amazing quantity of water going, going over a cliff. Um, and I, I, I understand all the lore and all the draw. Um, and I, I, when I was this time I was asked to um, do a live interview with the weather channel <laughs> about blue mind and I uh, did it from, from the edge of Niagara Falls, which you know, kind of made for a, a pretty cool backdrop. But um, I, you know, I'm I'm very ecumenical about water. At least I try to be. I have my own preferences, but I really uh, I want the conversation about Blue Mind to never feel exclusive or anything but accessible to everyone. And that really is the goal is for Blue Mind to be common knowledge for 8 billion of us to understand what this concept means, be able to practice it and have access to it. Um, so, you know, I, conversations about comparing, you know, Niagara Falls to the North Pacific or, you know, um, Mississippi River or some other great body of water. I'm a yes and guy. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, officially I have my personal preferences, but <laughs> it sort of gets like, it's almost like politics. You get lake people, river people, ocean people, um, float spa people, and it gets, um, gets personal and political a little, but <laughs> I like it. All. I like it all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like it all for sure, but I, I'm like Jamal. I like my water with a heavy dose of salt, uh, <laughs> it, it mixed in there. Um, Jamal, I was going to ask you about, uh, I know you're doing a lot of different 
different work these days um, and some fun kind of you know fiction stuff and uh, I want to ask about I think you mentioned water dragons um, what's going on <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, yeah and just to to um, to make a note on the the tribe the water tribes one of the most die-hard surfers I've written about him in in the fear project Doc Reniker one of my neighbor big wave maverick surfer and doctor who um, I recently saw him after a kayaking adventure and he goes, I don't know, that might've been the most fun I've had <laughs> in the wow. water. And that was after, you know, a lifetime, he's like 65, dedicated his whole life to surf exploration. And so, you know, the, the tribes can, can come together <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, water dragons, I mean, I stumbled on, there's some really cool um, mythology in all cultures around water, about water being alive and embodied. And in, in, uh, in the East, um, you know, water dragon, uh, water was off, often seen as a, in a dragon form. So, um, you know, the rivers, um, the weather were sort of controlled by influenced by um by dragons and um and i think you know if you look at the clouds that ethereal water form you often see things that look i think a lot like a, a dragon i mean you can see anything in the clouds but there is something like that mist coming over the mountains um that you can can see how how the storytelling developed but I, I just became enchanted by this idea of a water dragon and so um and i also am a big fantasy fan and so uh my next book the first first one in the series is uh it's uh about some kids who um at a school in Hong Kong, at an international school, and uh, one of them finds a water dragon egg, and and they have to figure out um, it hatches uh, in the bathtub, of course, um, <laughs> and, um, and then. Uh, but anyway, it's just been a lot of fun. You know, I think having kids opens me up to that uh, children's literature and how fun it is, and I think. Um, that beginner's mind. And I think that's actually a great way to re-experience different aspects of the water. Like I get so locked in surfing, but they're so stoked mm. <laughs> on the pool and on the rivers. And, um, and so in a similar way, this adventure with water dragons has been like, um, you know, getting to get excited about books in a whole different way for me. So, um, so yeah, hopefully you, you, um, water fans will, will go on the water dragon journey with me. First book's out in September from Scholastic city of dragons is the name. Awesome. Awesome. Very, very cool. Well, I know last time we spoke to Jamal, I talked about mop, you know, mop rides, the waves of life, and just that being a real great way for, to help kids learn about managing emotions a bit. Um, and 
I constantly talk to my youngest about, remember, you know, these are just the bad waves, just duck dive this, duck dive these bad waves right now, you know, wait for the good ones. That's, that's constantly a little, little thing I, I whisper to him. Um, and, uh, yeah, both you guys like, uh, haunt me in a good way all the time as I, as I, cause I'm so focused on water. Uh, yeah. Woo. In a, in a, in a spiritual way. It's not just like my professional career. It's my life. Um, and, uh, you guys have talked about it and, and framed it and, and, uh, always have lessons that are echoing around in my head. So thank you both. Um, appreciate the conversation for the 100th episode. I encourage everybody to go, uh, look you guys up. Great stuff to read, great stuff to learn about. Um, yeah, and hopefully the next time this conversation can be in person. I think that'd be a good goal. I'll, I'll come out to the West Coast. So, Niagara Falls, maybe. I have never been. So. Yeah, we have a tour guide. <laughs> All right, guys. I, I thank recommend you. it. Hey, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Travis. Thanks, Jay. Great to see you guys. Yeah, always, always a pleasure. Always fun to talk to you. All right. Look forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for listening to today's episode. A special thanks to Waterloop supporters, Springpoint Partners, and the Walton Family Foundation. The Waterloop Podcast is sponsored by High Sierra Showerheads, the smart, stylish way to save energy, water, and money while enjoying a powerful shower. Use promo code LOOP20 for 20% off at HighSierraShowerheads.com. If you like Waterloop, please subscribe to the YouTube channel or your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on social media and visit Waterloop.org to sign up for updates. Waterloop, Waterloop, Waterloop.